Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you once again for joining me for episode four of the Adventure Games podcast. Uh, I hope everybody is well. Uh, we have another packed episode this week. My guest this week is Georg Hobmeyer of Kosia Games. He dropped by to discuss his games and in particular his latest game, Path Out, which is an autobiographical game about a Syrian kid who had to escape civil war in his country. And they decided to make, with his participation, a comedic adventure game about it, which also talks about his experience and how he managed to escape. But first, I wanted to talk again about some news this last two weeks. Uh, Quite a bit happened. So we start with uh, former Telltale employees have started their own company called Ad Hoc Studios. Uh, Variety reported this a few days ago. Uh, now, these are not Telltale employees who were laid off in the summer. They had left Telltale before then. But it's still good that they have started their own company. And we don't know exactly what game or what type of game they're going to be working on, but they did give a few hints in the article in Variety. They mentioned that they want to focus on narrative again. And they mentioned... Bandersnatch, which I talked about a few episodes ago as an example of the type of game, so could be that they will work on a live-action, choose-your-own-adventure-style game, possibly similar maybe to previous Telltale games, but except with live-action. Now, this is only speculation. We'll have to see what they do, but again, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what they do. And it's also good news that they're at least working, and I really hope that other former Telltale employees can find work as well and can continue working and making games and doing what they're good at uh, as well. So hopefully in the future we can hear more. Also, Abe Goldfarb, who is a voice actor who's appeared on, I believe, every Wajedi game and other games as well. He was in, you know, Unavowed. He played Joey in the Blackwell series. He is going to appear on Broadway in Beetlejuice. So it's a huge achievement for him. There is an article that I will share in the show notes as well about that. So if you're in New York or want to check it out, you can go to see him and to see the, you can go to see the musical where Abe Goldfarb will appear. And also last week, adventuregamers.com had their annual Aggies award which is the Adventure Games Best Adventure Game from AdventureGamers.com. Now, this is a bit like the Oscars for Adventure Games, but less boring and less pretentious. And um, it's no real surprises, I guess. Uh, They have, uh, you know, best writing, drama, best comedy, and best graphics, best voice acting. And it's probably nobody's surprise. Unavowed and Return of the Oprah Din were nominated for a lot of awards. Other games that were nominated well were Pillars of the Earth, Lamplight City got a few nominations, and a couple of other games that you may or may not have heard of, such as Ezelmere and others, so you can check it out. They also have a Reader's 
choice. So if you disagree or if you want to nominate your own games that you think deserve awards, you can also nominate uh, games yourself. So you can go to adventuregamers.com and you can find more information there. Uh, also, uh, Timbleweed Park, uh, which is one Gilbert's latest game, which was released in 2017 or 20, 2017, yeah. It will, it is going to be free on the Epic Store from February 21st to March the 7th. So if you have not checked out this game, now would be the perfect time to get it. It's got great reviews and of course it was AdventureGamers.com best overall adventure game. So that's one to check out. And another article that I saw was from Armand Sindhu, who of course developed the game Rainswept. And he wrote on Reddit about how he quit his job as an architect and became an independent developer. And he started working by himself on this game. And he talks about the challenges of being an indie developer, how he overcame the challenges. And it's a really interesting article, and especially for anybody who wants to become a game developer, or anybody else anyway. It talks about just how difficult it can be, but also it, it's hopeful, you know. He actually talks about how he overcame all the obstacles and challenges and how he released this game practically by himself and how he managed to do that, how he managed to save costs and all of that. So I would really recommend people read it. And next is two demos that I wanted to talk about that I played recently. One them was Sol 705, so SOL, then number 705. It's by Patricio Land who developed the game. He also developed, uh, he also put it on Kickstarter, which was successful. So this game is, what well, the demo of the game is available for free on Steam. So it is 1974 in Argentina. So in this game, you play as a student who has to break out of school and you have to find a band mate for your brother. And then later on, you have to investigate UFO sightings, join an investigations club, and also you have to face the toughest and exciting challenge of them all, to make contact with those fabled creatures, classmate cheerleaders, members of the local football team. So as you can tell, this is a comedy. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It has a unique setting, an interesting premise. It's fully voice acted. It's funny. And now the developer, Patrice Land, to Land, told me that he doesn't have a release date yet, but you can find out more at www.soul705.com. Right now the demo is available. It's on iPhone, iPad, it's on Android. You can get it in the App Store, Google Play. It's also available on Steam and itch.io, on PC, Mac, Linux, Android and iOS. It's fully voiced in English with Spanish, French, Russian, German, Portuguese, and Italian subtitles. Uh, so uh, I would recommend people check that out. And the second demo I want to talk about is Discolored by Jason Godby, who made The Search. And he is now working on this game, Discolored. So it's first-person puzzle exploration game. And it's, it's a, kind of a surreal story. But so... You arrive at the end of a desert road where a small abandoned cafe sits and a strange tower looms overhead. 
As you look around, you notice everything has lost its colour. All objects that once held vibrant lush tones of colour are now a pale grey. What is causing the colour to disappear? How can they be brought back? You'll discover that this strange place at the end of an abandoned highway has its own mystery. So, now, again, I really enjoy this. I, uh, when I started playing it, the, the graphics, first of all, I thought were beautiful. And it's made by one man. And ironically enough, given the name this colored, I thought the colors looked really enchanting. Even when, it's, when there are no colors, when it's gray, it still looks really, really nice. And it's a very somber atmosphere. You explore the area, you explore the abandoned uh, cafe and motel and in the demo. And there are some, you know, logical puzzles. You have to find objects and then use the objects together and then explore and then put the color back into the world. Uh, I suppose one of the best things I can say about this game is when I finished the demo, I wanted more. I wanted to continue playing to find out what happens. So, again, if you wanted a peaceful exploration type game where you can resolve logical puzzles and you have an enchanting, you know, mystery and beautiful graphics, I would recommend that people check it out. You can check it out at www.jasongodby.com forward slash discolored. So, that's D-I-S-C-O-L-O-R-E-D. And you can then sign up to play the demo, you once you sign up then you will get the Steam code and you can check it out. And yeah, so that's it for Adventure Game News this week. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention is about this podcast, first of all. Very good news that this month in February we got one over 1,000 subscribers just this month alone, which I... Still cannot believe uh, when I started this podcast, um, I didn't know if it would be successful or not, or if people would like it. And since then, I've had some really great feedback, and there's more and more people who have listened and subscribed. So thank you to everybody for your support and for listening and subscribing and for sharing and everything. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And as a token of my thanks, I will organize some sort of giveaway over the next probably week or two. Um, or, you know, I'm not sure exactly yet, but I will do something just to thank the people who have supported the podcast and it will grow and expand, hopefully. Uh, so again, I just want to thank everybody for, for listening and for your support. And okay, so this week, as I mentioned, my guest is Georg Hubmeyer. We spoke about a lot of things, about his company, about his games, made some really interesting games, and about Pats Out in particular. Now, I'll talk more about Pats Out after the interview, uh, but I I would recommend that people check the game out. You can check it out for free on Steam or pay what you wish on itch.io. So here is, first of all, a clip of the game and then my interview. So please enjoy. Hey guys, it's Abdullah. I used to be an average kid. You know, going to school, listening to some music, and of course, playing some video games. Well, lots of video games. Everything changed in Syria when the war started. My home had become a war zone. I wasn't a gamer anymore, but a refugee. And this 
is the story of my escape. Remember guys, don't get me killed. Today I'm joined by George Hubmeyer. I hope I got that right. Yes, almost <laughs> uh, flawless. <laughs> <laughs> well, apologies for my German, but thank you so much for joining me today, George. Now Thanks for inviting start- me. No worries, it's my pleasure. So to start off with then, I'd like to ask all the developers, would you mind giving us a brief introduction about yourself and letting us know if you have one, what is your favorite adventure game or favorite adventure games? So, yeah, uh, my name is Georg Hopmeier, as already stated. I'm artist and game developer, a game designer, to be more precise, from Austria. I have a bit of a weird CV because I, I, I was originally trained to work in the theater as an actor and director and choreographer. And I worked a lot with technologies, and so I ended up making computer games at one point because it just was more interesting as a storytelling medium. And the secret in this whole weird CV is that my actual uh, storytelling background is pen and paper games. So since I think I was like, I started playing pen and paper games when I was five years old and played it for like 15 years. And then I went to the theater and then when I went into games, I, I started that again. So basically my connection to games is very much through the medium of pen and paper. So you mean like Dungeons and Dragons or uh, like that? yeah, or? Dungeons and Dragons or the uh, German versions that were around at the time? Curiously enough, we didn't have so much Dungeons and Dragons. We had a lot of Shadow Run, and we had a lot of a game called Das Schwarze Auge, which was okay. kind of the, the big thing in that region. So basically, I did play. Being born in the year 1977, I was kind of exposed to the golden age of uh, you know like. Zack McCracken, Maniac Mansion, and of course, uh, Monkey Island. But that was a bit of a sideshow almost to me at that point, because yeah, storytelling for me was always crafting an experience for players sitting around on the table. Okay, yeah, so that was your introduction then to yeah, so the games, yeah. That, that's how I went into games, it's just like sitting around at the table with people and giving them an experience over... An evening and then putting that together into like a, like a, a, a bigger, a bigger story that might last over, I don't know, weeks and some stories that we played almost years. Yeah. So like, and, and, and I myself, I'm not really like a, like a total fan of like very, very classical adventure games. Uh, I like really, really strange experiences uh one might say so uh, if, if i would think of like one of one of my favorite games in the last years and i think it's it's even debatable if if it could be called an adventure game but it's it's the game uh, uh the beginner's guide by uh, davy redden who made Stanley Parable. So Oh, okay. I've heard of Stanley Parable, but I haven't yeah. heard of a beginner's guide. Maybe I should have, but yeah, uh, well, what's, the, what's the game about if for those like me who haven't heard about it? It's kind of hard to describe. It's it, it's a narrative game, it's a narrative experience, and it's basically uh it tells the story of a person. So, so basically you're struggling from a first person perspective going through the oeuvre of a person 
that was creating games or game-like experiences, but then had a hard time with the result of having made these experiences. But uh, all this information is being brought to you by a narrator. But the, so there's, there's like there's like very very ambiguous relationship between the narrator and the environment that you're moving through. So there's a lot of environmental storytelling, which I find very 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 interesting. This is kind of interesting how this new genre of walking simulators kind of reinvented really storytelling in a way. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, like the beginner's guide is extremely hard to describe. So, uh, okay, I can well, say, uh, give it a try. Okay. Yeah. I'll include a link in the show notes and, yep. <laughs> and on the website, adventuregamespodcast.com and people can check it out. Like me, as I said, I still haven't seen it, but I'm very curious now yep. uh, after what he said. So uh, thank you for that. So you created then a company, Kosa Creations, uh, is that correct? Or you yes. work? Yes. Yeah. So t- tell us um, when when did you set up the, this company and wh- when did you decide that you wanted to make games maybe full time or? So that, that happened in around 2013, 2014. Um, we kind of uh, took the decision that we just don't want to do like uh, game-based art and kind of some small projects on the side, but we really wanted to work with games in a more commercial way as well. And we wanted to make games that would also kind of function on the, at that time, already quite crowded indie market. And basically from day one, there was always work for us to do. We never focused on like the one big project. We kept that was keep us busy for six years, and uh, I have friends who went down that path. So I, I wanted to make as many games as possible in a, in, in a short while, also to make the necessary mistakes, so that I could basically uh, kind of also grow as a as a game developer since I was to at least to the digital realm quite new. So basically, like we we founded Causa Creations, started working games for uh, making games for NGOs, for museums, lately also theaters. So it's a lot of collaborations with people working on uh, particular topics. Yeah, and we almost never worked on games with purely uh, fictional fantasy or, or, or sci-fi settings. So all, so all your games are based on real events then? Or? Yes, almost okay. all of our games. Like uh, I did some uh, work for higher jobs for other games like the card strategy game, Nowhere Profit, but most of our work has a political angle, has a historical angle, and has a kind of a documentary angle of a sort. And because I, I think it's, first of all, it's very, very interesting. And secondly, I also think it's not too stupid from a business perspective because there is already like a thousand platformer games that are modeled after metroidvania and <laughs> i'm not even good in making platformer level design and i don't even like them so uh we, we just try to make something really special and we try to make a lot of it and see how how it reverberates with uh, with audiences and with players and uh, so that was basically our strategy and it has been working quite well no world success uh, so far yet, but we pay our bills and we can make interesting projects. And that's already like a a very, very, very good uh, intermediate goal we have achieved with Causa Creations. Okay, so that that's good. Yeah, so the games are they have a political historical slant. And you, you mentioned as well that uh, it was because there were already like a lot of platforming games. And you yourself are obviously interested in you know documentaries or historical stories. And mm-hmm. So that would that be one reason why you decide to make games based on these uh, topics? 
so yeah, I mean, this is it's almost a bit hard hard to how to say like a, how we came to make this this particular kind of games. I mean, I must I must also admit at that point there wasn't too much of a strategic angle that we said like, okay, in this year we're gonna make this kind of game, then we're gonna make this kind of game. It's more of a case to case experiment. Sure, uh, sure. So we're really trying things out, like, okay, how can we work with the integration of video commentary, for example, in Pathout? Let's try yes. that. Out. Let's let's see how that works. I mean, in a way, we are quite lucky because basically we are we are being paid to make experimental game design, uh, and that's a that's a very very lucky position to be in uh, in this uh, world and age that can experiment with different forms of narration, work on themes and topics that are really interesting, and uh, have money from that at the same time. Yes, no, exactly. I mean, we'll talk more about paths out. Uh, shortly, because one of the things that I noticed is how original it was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. say experimental, and uh, which actually worked, I think, in that game. So, how many people are in the company currently in Casa Creations? So, basically, we have two parts of the business. Uh, the original company is still sitting in Germany, and we are now basically running a, a, a brother or sister company to that uh, from Vienna. And we are... Uh, there's like a core team of two owners of the original company, and we are relaunching now the the Austrian part of the company with more people. So that's kind of still in the making. So I would say we have kind of a handful of four or five people in the core team, and then there is kind of a, a small ecosystem of uh, people that we regularly uh, work with. We have uh, people that work with us on audio. We have some people that are specialized in particular interactive interactive videos and trailers. And basically we are, uh, our ecosystem that we are also inhabiting is very much connected to the Viennese game design scene and game development scene. So there's a, there's overlap with other smaller companies there as well. So, but yeah, basically to cut it short, is like four to five people and then the same amount of people uh, associated to the company as freelancers. Okay, thanks for that. So you've made a few games then. I was just going through some of the games. They all look very interesting and they're different types of games. I saw you made some text adventures and a puzzle game and some yeah. RPGs as well. And the story <laughs> looked interesting. Um, so as one of you want to talk about one of the games maybe. First of all, I saw that there are two games. That, now correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. But there's mm-hmm. a game, bo- Burned Boards, which is a puzzle game, and then yep. there's a text adventure, Where Phones Go, that, were oh, they yeah. kind of similar? Are they kind of together in a way, or did I read wrong? No, no, they are, they are very, very much connected because both address electronic waste. Burned Boards is basically a research project that we did together with an NGO in Berlin and a university in Vienna. And we try to to make a game that tells the story of uh, electronic waste being recycled in India. And we didn't want to make an adventure game, but we wanted to work with a game that had a mechanic and a simulation aspect. And then parallel to that, uh, that was almost like a bit of a side project. I basically wanted to learn uh, a language called Twine, uh, basically like a text adventure engine. And... I had so many information about electronic waste recycling, and so I I just wrote a basically an interactive story about an old phone's travel from London to uh, Ghana uh, to the e-waste recycling yards there. 
it's basically like a small side project to burn the boards, which was a, a bit of a bigger project uh, that we worked on in 2015. Okay, no, that sounds interesting. And so again, you mentioned that uh, take it's an electronic way. So mm -hmm. how did how did this story, how did this game then originally come about? Why did you decide to make this this game about this topic? I'm interested in politically, but also social level, and in this case, also environmental topics that are kind of hidden and under the surface. I mean, actually, there there is also another game uh, that that talks about these things. It's the phone story by Mall Industria. But I wanted to make something that is a little bit more deeper, you know, that, that grasp, grasp uh, that kind of people can play for a longer time and kind of engages them. So the idea was to make a game that can have the addiction and the, the feeling of a puzzle game that you want to play it again and again and again. Then it talks about a serious topic at the same time. That said, still a project from the early days of my game development career. So there's plenty of flaws and mistakes in the project. Oh. But I think it was a valiant effort, nevertheless. Yeah, I'm not sure it's where you got, got the start, at least, then, is where you started, which I said, learning, you know, your craft. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, this is really, really important. Uh, if, if you want to make games, you just have to, Make it, and then you have to publish it, and even if it's a small project, and even if it's a failure, you have to get stuff out there. I think the worst thing you can do, and I, it kind of breaks my heart that it, that happened to a couple of colleagues of mine, is you become trapped in a project that becomes a labyrinth in itself, and then you can never bring it out, and then it basically buries you under it. And this is something... Being exposed to actually two friends of mine who struggled with that and then eventually didn't publish their projects, mm. I really, really wanted to avoid that. So I might have pushed projects out that weren't good, that might have like some flaws. Burn the boards had a few terrible flaws. It had like uh, aspects that were really, really nice. Some functions, some didn't. But I think it's very important to make mistakes and to have the full cycle of game development in order to grow as a developer. Yeah, I think many people will agree with you. And if we look back, nearly all developers, you know how, if we look back, even LucasArts and Sierra, their very first games, I'm sure people might say, oh, they're not as good as their later games. Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. that's nearly with, with everybody. So you got something out there, you're developing your craft and developing your skills. Yeah. So that's, I think that's an achievement by itself. So uh, we wouldn't have had your later games without it. Okay, yeah. And... And then moving on, you also made another text adventure, I believe. Is it In My Garden? Is that the name? Oh, yeah, In My Garden. That was a very brief project. That was basically my first Ludum there, like a 48-hour game jam. And, yeah, that was basically me sitting down and trying to make a game by myself. Or, like, an, an I was thought emotional ex narrative experience in 48 hours. So uh, one of my smallest projects, I think, Possibly the smallest project that I have done in the last years, but uh, I was told that it's it's still emotional, and I think this is this is curious, and this is this is also the the, the power of adventures and the power also of text adventures. If if you take the medium text, I mean, it's and it's it's one of the most ancient uh, mediums on the planet, and also kind of uh, far explored. Text can do an incredible has an incredible power if taken seriously. And we are very, very lucky that uh, in the recent years, digital games have finally re remembered that. And we are kind of coming back to, to a point where we 
understand, okay, text is important, story is important, storytelling is important. It's not just about fancy 3D graphics. Yeah, exactly. I, th I think we've kind of moved on. We went from, you know, 2D and then the late 90s and 2000s, it was in 3D and the graphics mm. got more better and better. But now it's, I mean, graphics are still very good in, you know, AAA games, but now we're going back, as you mentioned, to text adventure games. And again, we can use our imaginations more with, with text yeah. games, which, yeah. you know, which is what I really love about them as well. What is the story about uh, in the garden then? Uh, we can talk about that. Well, uh, without spoiling anything, or if you don't want to spoil anything, of <laughs> yeah, course. okay, that's, that's actually <laughs> like there, there, there's a couple of spoilers. Well, basically, it, it, it talks about the the life of a person, and it takes very, very brief snapshots. But, but really, talking about the entire life of a person told through five snapshots, and then in the middle of the game, the story changes completely, and talking about their retirement and the, well, let's say, like the last, the last months or maybe years. I don't want to be too precise about it. And then there's a couple of really, really important decisions to be taken here. And then there's a bra, there's, there's, there's different endings. So, uh, depending on how you, how you choose to live, maybe the last moments of your life, you will have a drastically different experience. Okay. That sounds very interesting. I look forward to trying it out. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really small thing and it just takes 15 minutes, but, uh, yeah, consider it like a tiny short story. Okay, no, definitely something you could do like at the weekend or waiting for something. No, looking exactly. This is, this, is, this is for like for even like a short commute, something. Yes. Finish briefly. Okay, thank you for that. And then before we talk about Path Out, it was another game that caught my eye. I didn't read a huge amount about it. It's, from what I saw, it's not exactly an adventure game. It's more mm -hmm. an RPG. I think Totem Sound. Oh which yes. Sound, which yeah. sounded very interesting. Uh, yeah, what yeah, can you tell us about that? Uh, Totem Sound is curious because it. It's, it's, it was basically a commercial project. We got approached by a museum in Berlin and they, they basically had like a shitload of money to experiment with new forms of storytelling and representation and whatnot in museums. So basically they had all these laboratories that they set up or laboratory stages. And we were part of a laboratory that looked at their collection of artifacts from the American Northwest as collected by a Norwegian whaler in 1881. And uh, this guy, he, he wrote a big, pretty uninteresting book about it. And we were given this book and was like, so please make a game about this. Actually, it wasn't really like this. There was like a pitch phase and we had a kind of a, a concept that involved making a digital game and some augmented reality experiments and basically they gave us money for to making this short game. So yeah, basically Totem Sound is a one-hour game that gives you like a fragment out of this journey of Johann Adrian Jacobsen through the American Northwest. And it's a kind of an action adventure. You go around. I mean, this guy was a very, very outdoorsy person. He wasn't an ethnologist. He wasn't interested in culture. He, he was basically just going around, going hunting, going canoe riding and they just bought artifacts like a crazy person. <laughs> 10,000 of them. Wow. 10,000 <laughs> artifacts that he brought back and uh, basically there's like an entire basement filled with this stuff and then there's like 60 of them in the exhibition. So, so basically we just showed how he goes around but what the game is actually talking about is the colonial history of Northwestern America well this is actually Canada in, in, in that part and how Western societies would arrive there, how they would change the local culture, 
how they would also disrespect and in parts also destroy the local culture. So it was basically like a, uh, also a very, very critical game. It had a bit of a weird sense of humor that some people thought was inappropriate, but we had, uh, we, we talked to indigenous artists from, from North America and also indigenous game designers and they were pretty happy with the game because we, we dealt with a serious topic in a kind of a light way, but we thought it was necessary because you cannot just have everything very, very heavy handed and serious in storytelling. Brings us nicely on to a game that I want to talk about most, or the game mm-hmm. that, shall we say, introduced me to you guys, which mm-hmm. is Path Out. Yeah. Um, so you talk about telling a serious story in a light or a comedic tone, and I think that this describes this game perfectly, in my opinion. First of all, for people who don't know about Path Out, uh, what is the story about the game, or what is the plot of the game? So Path Out is basically an autobiographical single-player experience in the style of Japanese role-playing games of the early 1990s. It tells the story of Abdullah Karam and his escape from the, the Syrian civil war. And I think what's a unique feature that needs to be mentioned is that Abdullah isn't just the person that you control, the person who's where you look at like the, his life before the war, how the war starts and how he escapes from the war. And cross over the border into Turkey. But Abdullah also appears in kind of YouTuber style video comments throughout the game. So he's basically there twice. He's there with you as the character, but then he's also the commenter and he gives you different perspectives on, on subjects. Like he, he underlines the emotional situation when he leaves, for example, the house of his parents for the last time. And then at the same time, he, there, he, there's also very, very lighthearted and, and, and uh, sarcastic comments when he kind of uh, criticizes it, one, his own game because uh, the, a courtyard is being designed in a way that is might be considered a cliche of oriental architecture. Yes, I, I remember actually. Yes, <laughs> it certainly was. You know, very. Original, the way he appeared and the way, as he say, he's commenting on his uh, on his own game and on the you know the, the graphics or things that appeared in the game. Um, but how did you first hear about Abdullah's story? How did you first hear about Abdullah? Well, I mean, it's a very very personal thing. Like we, I met Abdullah at a at a theater show where my wife worked uh, as a performing choreographer, and then he was basically fresh off the boat, uh, quote unquote didn't arrive in a boat because it's a landlocked country <laughs> so uh and he was like yeah well hey you want to do something creative uh and then he gave me like a whole list of things he wanted to do like uh, uh he wanted to be a comedian so i have no idea about comedy and uh, a few bad jokes he wanted to be an actor <laughs> like yeah actor I, I i know about acting let's not go there and then he wanted to to also be an illustrator and wanted to work in games and then i was like i know a guy and he's a, he's one of Austria's top illustrator, the, who's now a member of Cosa Creations, Brian Main. Tell you what, show me what you have and I'll connect you to. And then he showed me, uh, the portfolio of his DeviantArt account. And, you know, he was, I mean, he's still young, uh, but he was like a, a kid at that point. So he just had this classical DeviantArt account, but it was pretty high quality and had a big following. Uh, it was mainly manga, mainly coloring, not too much line art, but really, really good coloring. And then Brian said, yeah, sure, I can teach Abdullah. So basically, Abdullah was 
in a situation where he was waiting for his asylum procedure, uh, which can take years. And during that time, he was an unofficial intern in our company. And we, we taught him things and we bought him equipment that he could use in order to progress. And then at one point, I was like, okay, now we're just throwing him kind of creative morsels from other project and but I want to work with him more closely and then we had breakfast uh, Syrian breakfast so that is at, at one day and I was like pretty spontaneously asking Abdullah do you actually do you feel like talking about your experiences do you feel like making a game about that would that be interesting for you and he said yes <laughs> and this is how it began and then uh, there was like a whole I did some fundraising. I got some grants. So uh, we decided also on the scope of the project. We decided that we don't want to make something that is gigantic. We want to make something small and share it with the world and see how it goes. Yeah, and this, this is basically how we started then. And things got a little bit complicated because we didn't have a lot of money. And, and Abdullah had to, had to start uh, an education because his brother really wanted that as well. So basically the, the, the roles shifted around a bit. But he basically stayed on it in a kind of a storytelling and protagonist uh, role, while me and the rest of the team basically worked on the nitty gritty of the game. Sure, yeah. So you designed the game, and he appeared as yeah. well. You mentioned as well that he appears. Like, first of all, we play as Abdullah in the game, and then he also appears in, uh, you know, as a YouTube uh, videos, shall we say, or vi- video form. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you talked a little bit about that, but what made you think that that would really help the player experience, or well, why? When did you come up with an idea for him to appear in the game as well? That was uh, actually uh, the, a, a result of an idea for marketing. So we talked about marketing, and then and then we we kind of almost joked about uh, that we have to promote the game by having it played by our friends of ours who are also refugees. And then they mm-hmm. comment on it. And then I was like, yeah, what? Well, why don't we just do that in the game? Why don't we have you comment on it while we play it? And uh, it's actually quite interesting that these kind of levels of like using real life video inside of uh, digital games that have another aesthetic. I'm always quite surprised how little that is used because the technology isn't very, very fancy. It's just like a small video player image. But this kind of mix of realities is, is apparently not too attractive for uh, other developers out there. So it it became something of a novelty and we were quite surprised how much effect it had on people. I mean, we were anyway, we were like extremely surprised how well the game did because when we were finished with it, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's a little personal, uh, but it, we, we were in a little bit of a strange tough spot while we made the game like i had like the real flu during the months of making the game and was a complete wreck and then our graphic designer he had like kidney stones oh no so when the game came out we were like we were like we were a total mess we're like oh god (laughs) like a a flu in a game Uh, i have to finish it and like oh no i'm I'm so tired Uh, i need a break let's just put it out and then and then anyway we, we kind of I'm quite happy that we didn't uh, throw it away because it, it like for some weird reason, like uh, probably just bad luck. Everything kind of drained our energy. So when we threw out the game in uh, 
in as a first test version on the HIO platform in late June 2017. It was a bit like fire and forget. We did the usual thing. We did. We wrote a press release. We wrote to like a few colleagues, and we said like, yeah, it's gonna have like a few downloads and maybe a nice article, and then we move on to something else. It's all good, you know. We'll make money with something else. And, and it exploded <laughs> in our face. Uh, and there was, and, and it's kind of still exploding sometimes, not so much anymore. But we were like really, really surprised, like how well received it was. I mean, it was on, it was on main television news in Saudi Arabia. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was huge. It was, uh, it was crazy. Like the relatives of Abdullah called him suddenly, like, oh, I saw you on the news. <laughs> and, and then, but it was quite big in Germany and Austria as well. And so, and then basically that that kind of led to the idea to put the game also on Steam, which was a good move because then it could really reach a, a broader audience, quote unquote. Of course, still a, yes. It's still a tiny project, but I'm I'm happy that to this present day, probably hundreds of thousands of people have heard about the project and tens of thousands of people have played the project. And that's, and it's, it's not a commercial success for us because we're not selling it, but we, we got some money from prices. We got some awards. We might even uh, work on a on, on, on follow-up version of that. But it, it had an impact, and that's the most important thing for us. It's kind of had an impact in the medium, and it also had an impact in the political landscape somehow. Of course, yeah. No, a, as I you know mentioned, I think it does work with the YouTube video because you're playing the game. And, uh, and then when he appears, you know, in these moments, you know, whether they're comedic moments or they're more mm. emotional moments when he's saying goodbye to his parents, that mm-hmm. it does hit home that this is a real person, that he, yeah. he went through this and he, he could be one of us, you know, like he's a kid growing up playing video games and all yeah. of a sudden war happens in his country yeah. and it, he's had no part whatsoever in it, you know, and yeah. he just wants to live his life. So it kind of hit home for me. So yeah. I'm, I'm delighted that it has been received so well. And, you know, when I was playing the game as well, I was so surprised with what Abdullah went through. You know, I don't want to spoil everything, but, mm. you know, he had to deal with, you know, with, with ISIS and with the Syrian soldiers and minefields, you know, like between, he's between a rock and a, and a minefield. <laughs> and I was thinking, mm. God, and he's so young. Like, it's, for, for me, like, problem is if I wake up and there's no milk or no cereal. <laughs> but, you know, for what he had to go through, you know, and and still he seems to be positive, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I I must also say, you know, like the this is this is the the part of the journey that he can leave behind and he can look back at it and say like, okay, that was a rough moment, uh, and I'm here and I'm safe right now. But and this is why I'm actually, I mean, it's it, it's hard to make this into a full commercial project, and we're uh, but we we're, we're still working on that, but. But what I also want to want, want people to understand, and this is why, why we are still working on a continuation of it, is that the hard part starts also when you're here. And Abdullah has been fairly lucky compared to other friends of ours. We have a good friend from Iraq. He arrived at the same time. He's still waiting. And, and, yes. the, and these people are sometimes in a, in a void for years. And even if you're lucky, like Abdullah and his brother, and you get a job and and you develop a social life, there's, there's, there's so much, there's so much still that you have to process. There's so much, there's so much emotional struggle still. I mean, his parents are still in the Middle East. Mm. You know, they, they, they haven't had a chance to come here yet. And the, uh, and the atmosphere towards refugees 
and also the legal uh, opportunities for them to come here is becoming increasingly hard. And mm-hmm. you know, like I mean, I think this is this is to do like cross through a minefield is a very very dangerous experience. But to to kind of uh, be separated from your parents over a very long time and to kind of have this emotional conflict, I, I think uh, um, maybe even even harder struggle. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I don't know exactly how it is, but I can imagine definitely yeah. that even when he's just leaving Syria, shall we say, the first part yeah, yeah. of of the difficulty. So when you made the game, now the game, you know, is based on a real story and a very serious topic, but mm-hmm. also since it's a game, I imagine you want to make it, shall I say, well, entertaining or, yes. you know, or fun to play. So what were the challenges with that, you know, talking about such a serious topic? But make it into a game that, shall we say, mainstream media or people could play and and enjoy <laughs> mm, or, or well, experience. I think, I think the main advantage that we might have had, well, that that Syria is kind of the cultural background to this entire endeavor, and uh, Syrians uh, are very generous people, uh, which helps with the storytelling. And Syrians are also have a very particular sense of humor. And this is not something that I came up with. This is something that kind of emerged in the process. And I think if we would work with someone from a different culture, with a different cultural background, with a culture that has a different approach to humor, the story would be a completely different one. But this kind of humor, this eagerness to also entertain in a way, this is this is something that really, really came from Abdullah and also uh, from his upbringing and, and, of course, also from his personality. But that kind of created this very, very particular lightness that very few people criticize. Like, That's good. Uh, which, which, which I, which I find interesting, like, uh, because it's, it's his culture, it's his story. Like, uh, I understand, you know, like that you might criticize the director of a play, but it's almost like seeing a documentary is like, oh, I didn't like how this person made a joke about the suicide of his father. Uh, <laughs> Of his father, not yours. So yeah, yeah, this is the person you know who lived through it. He's the one making the jokes. <laughs> yeah, and you know we and this is a coping mechanism. You know, like this is mm-hmm. not. And, and I know this from friends who come from the Balkan, who suffered as teenagers through a civil war in Croatia and Serbia and Bosnia, and they all have a stern sense of humor. It sometimes feels very radical to people from I don't know Denmark or Austria or Belgium. You know, like who have. No idea what it means, you know, when your town gets shelled and when your school blows up and when there is like a, suddenly a sniper on the roof and he, he shoots into the supermarket where you're shopping at, you know, but people, people have to find coping mechanisms. And in that case, it is, it's, it's humor and it's, it's almost, almost sarcasm, um, that kind of tries to tell the story and kind of paint the environment. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, cause it's, you know, we mentioned you, I, I certainly don't know, you know, can't, Exactly how they, you know, went through that. As you say, with the school being blown up, or I don't know how I would react. But were you surprised with his humor? Like, because if I probably met Abdullah, I might think with everything he's been through, did I have every reason to be, you know, serious and maybe a bit down because he's left his family, he's left his home, he's left his country. But at least after playing the game and just seeing the YouTube videos, he still seemed to keep his sense of humor. Did that surprise you in any way, or? Well, now that I know him, no, <laughs> no, but it's it's it's, it's the, the, the Syrians are amazing people. Like they are, the ones that I, I got to know quite a few of them here, and and they they have they have an incredible amount of energy, 
And uh, for them, there is only one way, and it's forward. And and they are, I think they they managed to develop a kind of a sense of like a, like a filter mechanisms in order to proceed forward because they had to kind of blend out particular parts of their life in order to function. I mean, just the political environment itself before the war was a complete nightmare, and there were all these uh, incidents and uprisings and, and and atrocities that happened over the last forty years. So that alone would have is would have been a complete soul wrecking for other people. But the Syrians just soldier on, and this is this is their attitude, you know, like keep on going and aim high and. Uh, Dress very peculiar. <laughs> this is, by the way, the, this is the, the, the biggest cultural gap is not religion or something. It's just like, I still don't understand why Middle Easterners dress and decorate their apartments the way they do. <laughs> anyway, that's like, that, that was like the, the biggest cultural gap we had. Okay, yeah, no, it's, I think in the game it's mentioned as well about, as you, as you mentioned with the environment or with, I think when he mentions about a statue which was a camel and he said, there's no camels in Syria. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, it changes to, to a cone. <laughs> yeah, but that, the, the, the camel joke is apparently like, uh, because apparently there is like really no camels whatsoever in Syria. Except for like uh, the one town where they had like more serious uh, tourists in Palmyra, and this is where they had like the camel ride for the tourists. <laughs> uh, but the part, the part that was like no cameras whatsoever. <laughs> and this is and it, again, you know, this is, is, might be very light, but in reality, that's also like a a big political thing, you know, because people in Austria, uh, for example, they see a Syrian, they think like, oh, he's He's a guy and he comes from a small village and they, they live in a hut and there's goats. But this is, this is absolutely mindless because, as stupid, because these, most of the people here are from educated families from the cities. Otherwise they would not have the money and the resources to come here. So we are dealing here with like really educated people. A lot of them have given up like a, a profitable businesses or like a good education opportunities. And uh, so we have real talent here. And, and of course they had everything that we have here, maybe a little bit harder access to like the latest PS4 games <laughs> before a war that is, of course. Sure, yeah. Like I think I read somewhere a lot of a lot of them are you know doctors and dentists and teachers as well, and yeah, yeah. that as you say have the money to be able to come over here. And um, so then talking about the graphics of the game, which for me was also very interesting because when I first saw the game, it definitely it looks like a Japanese RPG. Was, was that intentional? Yes, yes, very yeah. much. <clears throat> I mean, this is this is we, we we try to go for a look that would be doable at the uh, uh, and would allow us as well to reach the people in an emotional way. I mean, this is something that I also wanted to mention before. Mm-hmm. We kind of wanted to broaden the age limit for this. Like, we, I have some early sketches that look much more serious, but when we looked at them, it was like, okay, wow, this is something that, let's say, a, a, an eight-year-old kid will not play because it's too serious. It's too mm-hmm. grown up, you know, it's it's not sugar-coated enough. But we wanted to have like like a sense of sugar coating so that people would connect to the story easier, and particularly also the young people were like, oh, okay, this is something nice and friendly. But you allow yourself to come closer to it because it looks nice, friendly, entertaining, cute, whatever. Has this chibi aesthetic, 
but it, it hits home even harder, you know, when this little bobblehead ISIS soldier shows up, there's like this sense of friction in the graphics that we wanted to achieve. Like the horror of the reality of the war kind of being in friction with this kind of cute Japanese-style graphics. So you mentioned uh, making interesting points there that, you know, they look cute, you know, look like uh, maybe not the children's game, but then when I was playing it and then when the ISIS person appeared, it terrified me because we all know wh- what they look like now yeah. and what they are capable of. Yeah. I'm sure when Abdullah, you know, saw them, it was, you know, hundred or thousand times worse. But when I was playing the game in the comfort of my own home, and I was going like, laddie, down, then I saw this, and I jumped up, and I was like, oh my god, and then mm. I was very protective, I wanted that, I was controlling, I was like, no, go away, go away, no, no, leave him alone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, and I found that, you know, very interesting, that it kind of maybe sit up then, you know, think, okay, this is serious now, this is, I have to, you know, help Abdullah get away from these people. And so then, with, with uh, I believe there was uh, some Syrian art as well that's in the game, was that from Dullah? Did he have, you know, obviously a big part to play in with putting the Syrian art into the game? Um, so basically, Abdullah uh, worked a lot together with me on the story, and he also worked on some of the illustration and the key visuals. So he was basically uh, helping us select a lot of the art and work on some of the character. So. In a, in a way, he was like a junior art director, but because the actual work of painting all the pixels is a very tedious job that needs some handicraft, uh, Brian Main did a lot of that in the end. So Abdullah did some conceptual work there. He did some work on the illustration, on the key visual, and he basically helped us develop kind of the, the, the feeling of the graphics. And then the groundwork was basically done by us. Which was also due to the fact that he was doing his education. So in the beginning, uh, there was a plan that he does all the graphics and I do all the design, the game design. But that changed when brother said, like, you have to do an education, which at the end of the day was a good decision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> almost done with it right now. Yeah, but school somehow got into the way, but I think it's it, it was an important decision as well. Okay, yeah. And there, I forgot to mention as well, like before we see Abdullah leaving his family and trying to escape Syria, what I liked about the game as well, it doesn't just put you there, you, we get to know his life before all that happened, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the war with, was, was that intentional? Like, as well, did you decide to put that in early on just to get us to know the character and his family? Yeah, I mean, there was a, there, there was a couple of decisions on that. I mean, I, I didn't want to kind of start, and this is something that, like a few games do, that address this kind of topic. I wanted to have a little bit more of a complex time structure in that. This is why you basically jump first into 2015 and back to 2011 and then back into 2014. <clears throat> I wanted to have more complexity in telling the game there. And what was really important for me is that everyone I met that ever was to Syria <clears throat> was particularly heartbroken about the war, not just because it was a war, but because Syria, before the war, I mean, it was an autocratic dictatorship and it had a lot of problems, but it was also probably one of the most marvelous countries in the Middle East. And this country will never, ever come back again. So I did did want to show, uh, you know, like this wonderful oriental courtyard, although Abdullah didn't live in such a building. I wanted to show like a glimpse of this, of of the the greatness of, of, of Syria, at least so people get a little bit of a feeling what was lost 
when the war broke out and then you, you play the level again and then you see how it changed and uh, how the fountain runs dry and how the trees dead and suddenly there's not like a fancy street anymore but it's like tanks and there's ex- explosions happen there so, so that was really really important for us to actually show like hey this this was a was not an unproblematic place but it was still like a like a, a magically in its own sense yeah no, that's the sense that i got that uh you know as he said it was you know not perfect but at least you know you sh- we could see that he lived you know like he was basically like us you know he's living his life and it wasn't just him in this situation this conflict so mm-hmm. we get a sense and i learned from the game as well that you get to meet some of the neighbors that uh yeah. there is <laughs> and there's some neighbors I think we got to see both sides we got to, I think there was a girl whose husband was a soldier and then there was a man who uh, now I don't don't know but I, I think he from when, when I first saw him I thought oh he's evil and he wanted you to spy on the neighbors oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so, so basically these these are this this that's that's not actually a like a direct documentary aspect so this, those neighbors didn't exist like that, they weren't real people, but they more represent aspects sure. of the life there. And one of them is, of course, you know, like, of course there were people who were loyal to the regime, like this woman whose man was in the military. If you pay very, very close attention, her enthusiasm is a little bit more broken because her husband is has been fighting on some front for a longer time and she hasn't seen him so there is there is doubt in her as well and then the, the weird neighbor uh, which almost is kind of <laughs> lynchy and aspect we might have overdone it here a little bit with this scene but uh, still, uh, still uh, but that, that's actually down to humor he's actually representing the kind of very very deep penetration of the state into the civil society through the means of a kind of a spy system I think there's Few countries on earth where, if you compare Syria before the war to, to other places, where there was such a insane percentage of informants in the population. It's almost like East Germany, like the, like the GDR and their, their Stasi, you know, like there were so many informers and you never knew. Well, sometimes you knew and because you, you knew that maybe this uncle works for the government, so maybe you can pay him something in order to get something. But then there was a of people writing reports and people spying on their fellow citizens. And that was a dangerous thing. And this is why politics, that was uh, reserved to talk in the kitchen in a careful way. You mm-hmm. couldn't just talk, uh, uh, voice your, your, your frustration to everyone in the street that might have grave consequences. Sure, yeah. No, I think that was represented well there, at least with, with his character. And now you mentioned again about the, the politics. Again, another thing I like about the game is that even though, of course, it is based in a real situation and it's political, but then it's mostly a human story. So I think we all know or we have some idea about the politics behind it and the, you know, the mess that it is now. But here it just focuses on the human, on, on Abdullah and his, his life mm-hmm. and his, and to escape. Uh, but that was, was that always the intention again in the, in the game to focus on him? Yes. Yes. Very, very much so. I mean, uh, we, we are also working on another, uh, political game, uh, where we basically already also published fragment that is called The Fallen. Uh, it's also on our HIO page. And uh, The, the Fallen basically, I'm, I'm just mentioning it right now because it addresses politics in a completely different way. It takes like super serious, 
no nonsense, no humor, like geopolitical dramas, and lets you experience that in a very, very brutal way. The the idea with uh, with Pathor was basically completely the opposite. We wanted to tell the story through a person. We wanted to tell an autobiographical story, and we wanted to have Abdullah in the center of that. So that people could identify with him. I mean, I, of course you should, you could show the war and all the drama in a completely different way. But Abdullah was supposed to be an Yemenese. He was put in the, in the, in the center of that because for us it was really, really important to have like an identification figure. And this is also, by the way, why even in our, uh, press text, we kept on insisting on the fact that Abdullah is a gamer. Mm-hmm. So, yes. like, so because, you know, we, we, we didn't want to show, okay, here's the story of a refugee. He's like, of course he's a refugee. We don't need to, even have to mention that. But hey, you are, you, you play computer games and here's the story of another person who plays computer games. Just like you, mm-hmm. he plays Counter Strikes. He plays Grand Theft Auto. Why don't you have a look of, of what he made and how he talks about his life? So uh, to, to also reach out to that particular kind of, of, uh, gamer demographic. Uh, and this is, I think also the reason why we didn't get trashed too much by the usual trolls and mm. by the usual Gamergate or whatnot crowd, because people had some sort of, had some sort of, I don't know, like a reservation, you know, because hey, here's another guy who plays Counter Strike. Like, why would I want to trash his game? Exactly. Yes, yeah. so it's a guy like us, you know. Why? Yeah, and why the game is we... not the game is not preachy, you know. Like uh, it's really, yes. really not preachy. Like uh, that's that's one thing I'm proud about. Absolutely, that's what I noticed as well when playing. That's one thing that I, you know, liked about it. And so then, in, in terms of gameplay, then, so he said it looks like a Japanese or RPG. Uh, how do you describe the gameplay uh, in the game? Well, I mean, it's. It's, it's a pretty straightforward adventure game, uh, and we kept it fairly accessible and fairly easy. That's obviously for like a hardcore adventure game players. It's not a challenge, mm, but sure. uh, it would be a little bit absurd if that would be the goal to make that in like a super super complicated nested quest that kind of fold into each other. Because they would kind of they would stand in the way of the story, and for us, it's an interactive experience. It should kind of uh, keep you entertained, but it should stay accessible also to younger people, also to people who might not be so much into the adventure games uh, story to start with. This is why it was kept really light in a sense and very uh, accessible in that as well. So yeah, it's it, it tells you the story, it puts you on different quests. There's the obstacles that you have to overcome. Some of them are a little bit more kind of puzzle-like, some are more... I mean, there's like a few challenges that are a little bit more on the uh, stealth and skill side, but uh, all in all, that's basically just a carrier uh, for the story and for Abdullah uh, and and for for his presence throughout the game. So it's just a means to an end in order to forward the story. Okay, yeah. No, definitely. I think, as he said, it's... Uh, even people who don't usually play adventure games, I think they could still play this and enjoy yeah. it. And then I want to talk very briefly about the music, which they found interesting. I mentioned on the Steam page that there are Oriental influences by Wobbler Sound. So who, oh, yeah. who, are, who, who are Wobbler Sound? What can you tell us about them? Wobbler Sound are a very, very gifted game audio studio from Vienna. 
They're quite curious because they're not just musicians, but they're also programmers. So they're extremely good with audio integration. Uh, that said, we were so lo-fi with this project that uh, there was no need for that as well. They've been working on uh, with us on many, many projects in, in the last years. We wanted to develop something that would fit the RPG theme. So obviously, uh, we kind of went through the the old uh, 1990s Final Fantasy VII and whatnot uh, sound archives and listened to a lot of that. And then we looked how we could twist it a little bit more into the Syrian way without that becoming too strong of a cliche. And basically the benchmark test that always is like playing it to Abdullah and asking Abdullah how he felt about this and how he, if he would kind of find that acceptable in the game. And we try to keep a fine balance here, not to have the, the design of a committee, but we have to try to have a balanced process to just get the the right kind of audio into the game. And uh, yeah, I think with, uh, with, with Wobbler Sound, we were pretty, pretty lucky because I think they did a great job. Very atmospheric and it also it bridges these uh, oriental themes, but also the, the JRPG style pretty well. You know, you spoke uh, then very briefly about how you didn't expect this game to be so so huge. So so overall, the the reaction was bigger and better than you expected, correct? When you first released this game on itch.io, it you know it, it was the the reaction. You didn't expect this game to last as long. No, uh, like it it, uh, it it won a couple of awards, and uh, so for, for us that was actually pretty big. Uh, and then we made the Steam version as well, and uh, so for for, for us, I, th- I think the surprise was how it echoed basically through the game design scene as well, because it won also award at pretty big uh, events, like the uh, Reboot Develop, it won the so-called Special Games Award. And then the other thing was that it won like 10 or 12 awards. I kind of lost track even uh, by now. (laughs) There was a lot of professional interest, and for us that that was really, really uh, surprising. That said, uh, we in an ideal world, we would have hoped for the game to be picked up by a publisher so we could make like a big version out of it. But I think we are living in a little bit difficult times here because there are so many great games out there and there's uh, so many great uh, people making games. So we were lucky, but we were not that lucky. <laughs> but yeah, this is... We've well, been, it's a start. <laughs> it's a start. It's a start. And um, I'm sure we can make interesting follow-up projects as well. Like we've we, We've come pretty pretty far with a project that had like a uh one i must also mention that one a ridiculously low budget sure no i think uh you know you know definitely even though it has a small budget it still shines true it said it got uh you know great reaction so you yeah. never know maybe in, in the future it'll be picked up so you mentioned dan you uh if you were picked up by a publisher would you like to redesign the game in any way or just keep it the way it is yeah i I think if you take it serious as a game and the way how it's supposed to be designed in order to really, really reach like a broad demographic, I think the JRPG style was cool and necessary at that point because it allowed us to work with the kind of style that we were able to do. But if you want to make this like a commercial game that really, really reaches like more than those tens of thousands, but like hundreds of thousands of people, you basically need to create an art style that goes beyond that. And uh, so 2.5D, different engine, much more visual bling, 
not so much of the retro genre, but create kind of a unique 2D style, which could still work with uh, the elements of the videos. I mean, we've been doing some experiments with that, like we did some uh, we did some screen tests with that, and we actually still talking to like a few interested potential parties. But it's clear if we if we are going to uh, continue this project, it will look different in the next iteration. It will look, uh, it will have a completely uh, a more modern look, and it will not have this retro component anymore. Okay, yes. So you are in discussions with interested parties. Well, hopefully, uh, can be picked up. And have you? Yeah. Yeah. And have you considered? Uh, now I asked other game developers this. Um, have you considered maybe going through? Kickstarter or Indiegogo, or is that something you'd prefer to avoid, maybe, uh, in future? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, I mean, we are now doing a Kickstarter for a completely other project that we are working on, that we are, we are preparing that right now. It's actually for a card game. I am hugely skeptical of digital game Kickstarters, because sure, digital games yeah. are so expensive. And even making a Kickstarter yourself is a very expensive undertaking. So if I would do a Kickstarter, I would only do it in the context of an already funded project as a means to promote a game. I mean, there's a couple of people who've done, who've done very, very, very good Kickstarters in that respect. For example, I think it was Boyfriend Dungeons. Yeah, it was Boyfriend Dungeons by Kid Fox Games. They did a great Kickstarter. But when I read how they prepared for it, I was like, oh wow, okay, this is, at at that at that point in time, you have to be so full on about Kickstarter. So you basically need already the budget that we had to make the entire game in order to launch such a Kickstarter. And this is and and I, I think this is something that that we wouldn't be ready now. Like to come out of the blue with a game like this, mm. we might not get the means that we want to have in order to really make the game. Yeah, no, that's. Good point, because other developers I spoke to, you know, some were you know, very positive about it, said it really helped them make their game, but others said the same that you did, that they would only use it if the game was already nearly finished or nearly funded, yeah. and they mentioned that Kickstarter itself is like a full-time job all by itself. Yes, I think so, it's great for solo developers. There's a, <coughs> a friend of ours from, uh, from London... Um, James Patton, he works on a crazy game, uh, which is kind of a cyberpunk uh, simulation game about evil corporations. He did a Kickstarter, and for him it worked really, really well. He came out of the blue, but he he, he needed really little, and everything he got he uses on himself. But if you have mm-hmm. a company, if you have several people, sure. the, money just, yeah, the money just evaporates. And then if you come out of nowhere... Uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, uh, Alexis Kennedy did a successful Kickstarter with Carter Simulator, but he is the man who made Fall in London and Sunken Sea and all these games, so he has a huge following already. And uh, sure. so, same with Boyfriend Dungeon and uh, Kitfox Games. They had successful projects before, but I think for us, we would need like very particular circumstances in order to work with crowdfunding. That's fair enough then. So, this game, Pat Out, it's, it's episode one, is that correct? Yes. So then, uh, what plans do you have with this game? So if you have a publisher, we don't have a publisher. If you don't have a publisher, would you still continue to make future episodes and see how it goes from there? Or are you still waiting to, to get a publisher to maybe remake the game? Or, or do uh, you, or this is, 
Do you, right. just, if you don't want to answer, that's okay as well. No, like I, I actually can answer that. Uh, <laughs> if you're not uh, able to, that. <laughs> but it's uh, no, no, it's it's it, it's a difficult question, like because from an emotional uh, um, point of view, like I would love to make the game because I think it's very necessary to make the game. Yes. But at the same time, uh, like it's we 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 put so much energy into the the project already. And uh, I I've seen a lot of projects fail in the last years, where people went uh, like poor two three years of their life into a project and then they just put it out, did some marketing, but they had no publisher behind them. Mm. And for for me, it's it's not just about the money. Like the money, I'm semi optimistic that it could be financed so that we have money to make it. But the problem that I see is the marketing. And we have such a big visibility problem. Uh, so basically, I think in order to the, the game deserves a publisher, mm-hmm. if it should continue, it deserves a broad public, and that is something that you need a publisher for, a, a good publisher that is. And this is this is why this is a little bit for more kind of a, a mile a milestone condition, and this is we are. We are somehow undivided on that right now. The game has been out for a year. It's, it's gone through some iterations. We did some experiments. Uh, we developed some technology which we already dumped, but we haven't really, really moved forward to uh, project number two yet because we are still kind of stuck in that decision-making phase as well. Okay. And so what can we do? So like people like me, like game players, if, uh, you know, if you don't go through Kickstarter or anything, but what, what can we still do to help you move forward with the game or get a publisher? Is there anything we can do at all to help get the word out? Yes, of course. Okay. You can play the game. You can read, uh, leave us a review on Steam. You can leave a comment on social media. You can show it to other people. You know, for example, you know someone from an NGO. Show them the game. Uh, you know, someone who is extremely rich and powerful. And has millions to lose. Show them the game. You are rich and powerful yourself. Send us your money. We'll make the game. Sure. For I'll, I'll get right on that. I'll get in touch with the rich people that I know. Yes. One of these uh, famous Irish tigers. Uh, <laughs> Catholic these, tigers. It is these Google people that you have over there. I'll, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> no, like, like seriously, the, the most important thing is mm-hmm. if people play the game and thank you very much. By the way, I already saw that you left a review. Leaving yes, a video for yes. us on Steam is really, really important because the fact that we uh, actually talked already to uh, had interested publishers approaching us was to the fact that we are currently holding a, a review score of 96% on Steam. Uh, as I said, with like tens of thousands of downloads, and that's pretty, pretty high. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And this is, this was, I would say, is kind of the fan base for the game. And if the game would continue, that is kind of the foundation that we are kind of building this on. Uh, it's just like with making games, and it's, there's no there's no fast project here. Like I don't sure. I, I don't know anyone in in my vicinity that has kind of uh, pulled out a project out of his head that was successful in a very short amount of time. So this still might be like a slow labor uh, in order to progress that. Of course, well, as we say, good things come to those who wait, so <laughs> yes. it will be worth it. 
Yeah. And so you mentioned it's on Steam and it's on itch.io. Yes. Uh, is there anywhere else that it's available or you plan on making it available? Have you tried with maybe GOG.com or anywhere else? Uh, GOG, or, we actually talked about, talked to them a couple of years ago when we made Totem Sound. GOG has no interest in free games. Uh, okay. Uh, they're a little bit different, like Steam. We also have it on a smaller platforms like Game Jolt. But yeah, so far it's, it's on itch.io, which is uh, really our, our favorite platform. Okay. And uh, there it has been doing quite well. By the way, like of course, people can donate for the game, but can only do it on itch.io. Because uh, I think Steam did allow that a couple of years ago, but that feature doesn't exist anymore. Like, uh, oh, that's a shame. Pay what you want doesn't exist anymore. It's They're not really into this kind of business. Okay, so yeah, leave us a link on Steam uh, or, or donate money on HIO or just leave us a nice comment on Twitter and other social media platforms. Okay, sure, yeah. And so, and do you plan on maybe releasing it on, well, if you can, I know that's challenges, but on tablets or mobiles as well? Is there any plans or would you like to do that in future? Yes, indeed. So, like, uh, we are currently actually also looking into mobile, uh, but yeah, so there's a, again, like, if we would go for the mobile version, it would be definitely with new technologies and a new style. Because I think you need to reach out to, like, a, a the, the, like a really really broad public and uh, mobile is a little bit more uh, commercial in that respect so we don't want to kind of hide it in this cute retro indie hole but we want to give it a, an audience that is as broad as possible this is why we have this whole restyling debate and efforts going on right now as well but yeah I mean these days you have to try as many challenge, as many channels as possible you have to do mobile, you have to do consoles, you have to do, uh, of course, uh, PC. Of course, um, yes. We also, maybe we'll do a card game one day, who knows? But oh, without that... video comments, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. And then it's, it's in English at the moment, yes? It's, it's uh, in any other languages, or do you, do you intend on having it in different languages? Yeah, it's a bit of a tragic story. I mean, we, <clears throat> we have a, a, like a tool for localization, but we currently have a few bugs, but they are not connected to us, but they are connected to the um, to the web technology that we are using. Uh, so that kind of uh, prevents us from deploying in other languages. Yeah, so basically that's a bit of a dead end situation we are here with that, that we have it right now. But uh, if we kind of uh, relaunch the game, we actually have uh, like a few languages already at the go. It would certainly be Japanese, Spanish, uh, German. Polish and yeah, well, possibly also French, I'd say, and Russian and Portuguese. So those are the languages that we are currently looking at. Okay, well, hopefully. And, um, and oh, excuse me, and of course uh, Chinese, Chinese, very important. Okay, wow, wow, so a lot of languages already could reach a lot of people if uh, yeah, if we could get those languages. Uh, thank you for that. Before before we go, you mentioned that you were working on another game, this political game. Um, what what can you tell us about that before we finish? Well, the fall is basically my uh, attempt at being like a experimental Polish filmmaker from the 1970s. Uh, no, it's a bit of a stupid joke. <laughs> uh, so now this is a, this is a long-term project of mine. There is a game that talks about the nature of war through various vignettes that are placed like really, really far away, both in geography and time. And it uses different means of gaming mechanics in order to tell stories from wars. 
And uh, the fall is basically like a first tryout uh, from this, but there is other chapters being planned. But this is kind of a long, 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 long-term project uh, that runs in the background. But it's definitely something... Uh, I try to finish all the projects that I'm starting. So uh, I think it will come out in 2026. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have a while to wait. <laughs> yeah, we have a while to wait. We'll, we'll, we'll work on a new chapter in, in three weeks. So, uh, that's, it's, it's growing so, slowly, slowly. So th- that game you expect to be released in 2026? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so will, will more information about that game be online on your website then when, when well, you have the, information? The, the, the fall is already fully playable. It's basically like a 10 minute oh, fragment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a 10 minute fragment. It was even nominated for a prize, despite being in like a really rough home. It's uh, nominated for the main prize at the Amaze Awards. And it's kind of a, it's a narrative experience that tells you about the soldiers who fought and died in the Ukrainian civil war. Go and wow. play it because it's radically different from Path Out, but it's still close to it at the same time. And where, where can we find, where, where can we play this game? Do you have it, the link or I, yes, I can put it up on? It's also on our page, uh, causacreations.itch.io. So on our causacreations.itch.io page, you can find it. By the way, this is a project that we're doing together with uh, Gold Extra, which is uh, kind of our partner company. It's more of an art collective that I'm also part of. And they are basically like the driving force between the fall and I'm the designer for it. And, Causa Creation is almost like the, tries to uh, make the commercial version of that. So yeah, this is, okay. uh, basically, I, this is also like something that I have to mention. Uh, sometimes we have too many ideas <laughs> <laughs> because there's even other projects that I haven't mentioned yet that might also be interesting, but we have so many ideas and we have a, the kind of good in creating opportunities to make these ideas functioning in a commercial way so that we have money uh, to work on it. But what we don't have is this one big project that is kind of the center of all of our attention. Okay, well, that might happen. A lot of smaller different things that we are working on, uh, so uh, and sometimes they're a little bit in the way of each other even. Sure, yeah. Stuff going on. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'll be sure to check out The Fallen Den as well. Mm -hmm. And I definitely urge people to to play Pat out because I said a I think it is an important game to, for people to play and for people to experience to help you guys and Abdullah tell his story. And, uh, because it's very original for adventure games, but I think it's a story that probably needs to be told, especially in this day mm. and age. Yeah, to, I think so too. You know, to, to also like humanize it. Like it's, you know, we, we get to know Abdullah. It's not just a story about, as I mentioned, a refugee story about a gamer or about a person, mm. about a young kid who had to escape his home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so where can people find you online then? You can find me on Twitter. This is probably where I'm like at my most active and personal as well. Uh, under the handle Mercury Legba. And we also have the Cause of Creations. It's also on Twitter. But it's a little bit more official and a little bit more slow. So if you want to talk to me directly, at uh, Mercury Legba is my Twitter handle. Okay, and then the website is, you mentioned causeofcreations.itch.io. Uh, we have a regular website, causacreations.net, and uh, our itch.io games are at causacreations.itch.io. 
Okay, but then there are more games on .NET. <laughs> there, there, there's like a few other projects. There's like a few non-game related projects. Uh, oh my god, we did so many things in the last years. <laughs> we did like a, we did like a few interactive art projects as well, and uh, we did like a theater piece and a text adventure and uh, and the game and the, and, the, and the kind of a visualization transmedia project with the with the opposition radio from Belarus and all of that material is on causecreations.net. Uh, um, it's a little bit work in progress right now because we are. We will relaunch that as well, so it might be like a, a wee bit messy, but everything is on there. Everything's there. Okay, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about all your projects, but maybe it's, maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah, future point. Yes. I will maybe uh, come back and talk about the form. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Time. Yeah, thank you very much, Dan. Uh, so before we finish, uh, I'll hand it over to you. Do you have any last thoughts or anything else you'd like to say to either gamers or publishers or anybody else who might be listening to this? Uh, play the game and and try to keep an open mind what games could be you know look at the work uh, of like uh, experiment experimental makers uh, also like Mola Industria and Tale of Tales and, and other pioneers and I think games have so much to offer if we kind of move away a little bit from the big games like uh, and so if you if, if, if you just if you just spend, sync like hundreds and hundreds of hours into Red Dead Redemption 2, you might miss out on like a few gems. You know, sometimes 10 hours of grind less and try to invest those 10 hours into like uh, playing 10 different games, especially from platforms of itch.io. It could be really, really worth your time. Okay, well, I'll include all the links in the show notes and in the website as well. So thank you very much, Dan Georg, for joining me. It was a real pleasure. I really had a great time and I've learned a lot. Yeah, um, no, it was really, really thanks, thanks for the opportunity. So that was my interview with Georg Hobmeyer of Kausia Games, where we spoke about Paths Out. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And I hope you also found the interview and the game interesting. And if you haven't played it yet, I would really recommend you try it out. As you mentioned, you can find it on Steam for free on itch.io for pay what you want. It is a very interesting game and I really, really hope that they can get to continue making it and they can make it the way that they want to. After everything Abdullah has been through, he had to survive ISIS, he had to survive Syrian soldiers, and he literally went through landmines to be able to escape, and he wants to make a game about his experience, and he wants to use his experience in a positive way. So, I hope that they can find a publisher and they can find a budget to make it happen. So, if you are a publisher, or if you know a publisher, or if you have lots of money, then uh, why not get in contact with Georg and see what you can do. Now, even if you're not a publisher, you can still help out, as he mentioned, by first of all playing the game, then getting the word out, leaving reviews, sharing the game with people, and just basically getting the word out about the game. It's already won multiple awards, and it's been very popular, but uh, but but yeah, we'll see what... Uh, we can do. Georg has already proven himself as a game developer as well, because uh, even though the topic itself is interesting and important, the game has to work on its own merits, and thankfully for me it does. It's even just as a video game, it is it's entertaining, it's interesting, it's funny, and it tells a very insightful story. 
Now, on Steam, it has gotten all positive reviews. Just some comments here from people. Katsopoulos says, the story deeply affected me. BJ Nick says that Pat's House is a very atmospheric game. Amazing job. Uh, there was a lot of information and feeling for Syrian 24 have made the experience so interesting. I would like to play more games like this. And the comments are all pretty similar. The game is really is an eye-opener to how a Syrian refugee has to live through the times of war. Very insightful. Uh, it's a meaningful little game where you guide a Syrian boy to safely pass the border into Turkey. And they also talk about the narration. So, so yeah, people who have played it have, generally speaking, enjoyed it. I have not come across any negative reviews. It's all been positive feedback from people. So I, I'm really excited to know what they can do if they have a proper budget and they can make the game that they want to. So I hope that that becomes a reality. So the game, again, is Pats Out, and you can get it on Steam or itch.io. It's free or pay what you want on itch.io, and I would really highly recommend that people check it out. So the game, again, is Pats Out. So I hope you enjoy that. I will be back next week. With a special review episode, I will be speaking with Thomas Bex of GamingOutsider.com and we will be discussing our favourite adventure games of 2018 and looking ahead to 2019. So that will be next Friday. Um, so please join us then. In the meantime, thank you very much. Oh, if you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. I am on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also don't forget to share on social media. You can share on Twitter, you can share on your Facebook, on Discord, on forums. I can help get the word out there. Every little helps. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, Adventure Games Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod or on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And you can also find out more about this podcast on adventuregamespodcast.com. You can also contact me anytime on adventuregamespodcast.com forward slash contact, or you can contact me through social media as well. Until next time, thank you. Bye.